My Seven Chakras, Episode Two Sixty Four. It has taken me virtually forty-five years to distill within the vessel of my scientific work the things I have experienced and wrote down at that time. The Seven Chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head, for thousands of years. This ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers, and could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to my seven chakras, and now your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My Seven Chakras, the show where we provide you ancient wisdom, inspiring stories, and action steps that will help you transform your life. So, if you are new to our show, then I want to give you a warm, warm welcome. Now, before we actually begin today's episode, I've got a couple of announcements to make. Firstly, over the years, many of you have reached out wanting to support our show in some way, right? So, recently, I started a Patreon page for people who would like to support our movement. Visit my sevenchakras.com forward slash patreon that's my sevenchakras.com forward slash p-a-t-r-e-o-n and for those of you who don't know what patreon is it's a platform that allows you to donate a small amount each month to support the expenses that go into creating this podcast which are a lot uh, such as podcast production graphics and equipment and this way i'm able to provide you more number of episodes higher quality content and life-changing advice at your fingertips now to learn more go to my seven chakras.com forward slash patreon and you can get started for as little as seven dollars also if you haven't already downloaded our reading list that's based on books that have been recommended on our show then make sure you go to my seven chakras.com forward slash reading list once again to access this free downloadable pdf document visit my seven chakras.com forward slash reading list and with that out of the way it's now time to bring you our f- special guest for today Rachel Mann. So, Rachel, are you ready to inspire? Oh, absolutely. All of my work is about inspiring people to harness their natural abundance, their authentic power, their soul force, and their spiritual sovereignty. So, I am ready. Great. So, Rachel Mann is a shamanic healer and spiritual teacher whose work combines the wisdom traditions of Native American spirituality, Buddhism, shamanism, and depth psychology. She is the founder of the Great Medicine Wheel of the New Earth School of Mother Earth Mysticism and offers deep teachings from this ancient and contemporary system for how to step into your natural abundance, authentic power, soul force, and spiritual sovereignty. She's also a faculty member with Atlantic University offering an MA in Transpersonal Psychology and founded uh, by Edgar Case, this particular um, institution. She offers online and in-person courses as well, including shamanic energy medicine for healers. Now, this is not her first appearance on our show. She first joined me on episode 215, which was titled Shamanic Healing, Light Bodies and Overcoming Trauma. So to listen to that episode first, go to my7chakras.com forward slash 215. That's my7chakras.com forward slash 215. And in case you are a regular listener, you've already listened to that episode, then let's continue on our very interesting, mystical, 
and engaging conversation. So thanks a lot for joining me, Rachel. Thank you. Thanks for having me, AJ. It's very exciting to be on here again. I love the work that you do and your spirit. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, now, Rachel, it's going to be a really, really interesting, uh, interesting, not international, <laughs> interesting conversation today, but uh, an international too, because people join us from all over the world. But for now, what is your favorite inspirational quote these days and how do you apply it in your day-to-day life? Well, this is an inspirational quote that actually has has had a lot of meaning for me throughout my life. Mm. It's by the great um, psychologist, psychotherapist Carl Jung, and it basically goes like this. It has taken me virtually 45 years to distill within the vessel of my scientific work the things I have experienced and wrote down at that time. The years when I was pursuing my inner images were the most important in my life. In them, everything essential was decided. I hit upon the stream of lava, and the heat of its fires reshaped my life. This was the primal stuff which compelled me to work upon it, and my works are a more or less successful endeavor to incorporate this incandescent matter into the contemporary picture of the world. There you go. Mm-hmm. And how do you apply yeah. this quote in your life? Well, you know, the uh, really, I became a healer and a spiritual teacher, really, in large part, as a result of walking through my own healing journey uh, from from where, you know, from symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, from having a mother who was really very troubled, probably mentally ill, and um, very abusive. And and also, at the same time, in my, my academic work, I had always been very, very engaged with the question of how do human beings, uh, you know, respond to violence of various kinds and and then how do they they survive them and recover from them and it was kind of these two sides of myself which in the beginning many many years ago I didn't really see as being very joined together but really ultimately all this inner exploration and healing combined with all this interdisciplinary study of you know uh peace and violence studies and trauma studies in in the academic world came together mm-hmm. and they were like they they really were the the primal stuff you know that i used to then uh you know step into becoming a shamanic healer and a spiritual t- teacher and to then offering this vision of ourselves that we can really by healing ourselves heal the world and that we can therefore change the world. Yeah, so that that's how it's important to me. Got it, got it. So thanks yeah. a lot for sharing. Mm-hmm. Now, many of our listeners may have heard the term shaman in stories, in documentaries, in movies, and other forms of uh, narrative. But from your perspective, who is a shaman? Well, traditionally, a shaman is a person in a 
in a society, in a culture, who is a medicine person, um, they actually might use uh, plant medicines such as ayahuasca, but that's actually less common. A lot of people, a lot of medicine people actually use the natural forces of nature and they also connect on behalf of others with uh, various spirits and ancestors who assist in healing. Mm-hmm. The word shaman actually was coined by a man, a, a scholar named um, uh, Mircea Eliada. He actually coined the word. He borrowed it from a Tungus-speaking uh, people in Siberia. It was a word they used for their own medicine people. I think it may have been pronounced as something like shaman. And uh, he used this word in a very famous book that he published. And then what happened is that the word sh- shaman in quotes then got picked up by scholars of history and religious studies and and uh, anthropology and so on to have this meaning mm-hmm. uh, that it applies to people in these cultures who 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 hold these roles got it got it so thanks a lot for sharing uh, it's quite fascinating how the term came about, right? I didn't quite know it, uh, but I heard yeah. Joseph Campbell sort of pronounce it, you know, as shaman, and that sort of stuck in my head all throughout because I did read his book, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, The Power of the Myth, and I quite found it quite fascinating. And he keeps speaking about uh, shamans and, uh, uh, you know, the role of archetypes in our life and the importance of dreams. And right. I think it's all connected, right? Because your quote was by Carl Jung, and I guess uh, it, it's all interconnected. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Of course, of course, yeah. And, of yeah. course, Hillman has a very Jungian uh, viewpoint. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's very steeped in Jung. Got yeah. It. So, um, you know, so generally, you know, it's not considered kosher to call oneself a shaman, um, at least uh, in many indigenous tribal cultures. It's, it's more like a word that, you know, somebody might call you that. Um, oh. But it does. It does imply it does imply that you have these kinds of gifts or or a particular kind of training or an ancestral inheritance that you can then help others heal. Got it. Now, in two thousand and seven, you left your tenured position as an administrator and a faculty member of the University of Virginia to become a shamanic healer. Is that correct? Yeah. So, what yes. made you uh-huh. you know make that make that yeah. change? Well, you know, um, I think really for a lot of my life, I had this sort of feeling that was in the, you know, when I was a kid and in my younger years was kind of a little ill-defined that somehow I had a spiritual task, uh, a spiritual reason for being on the planet or incarnating in in this life. And, um, and... You know, I I ended up by virtue of just, you know, how good I was at school and how much I liked um, education. I ended up, you know, and because of the Cold War and some synchronicities that happened, I ended up getting a bachelor's in Russian studies and a master's in Soviet studies. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately went on for a PhD in Slavic languages and literatures. And, you know, ultimately, if I'd had a 
mainstream traditional academic career, I would have gotten a tenure job, you know, teaching Russian language and literature and culture at a college or university. Instead, I got into a, a an alternative career in the integration of digital technologies into teaching. And I was in that career for 15 years, but all the while I was you know, I was doing a lot of therapy and including Jungian analysis. And I was, as I said, pursuing my own healing using various energy healing modalities and psychodrama and hypnotherapy. And what began to emerge in the process of that, you know, that healing uh, is that I really became much more interested in, you know, psychology and, and a study of spirituality and so on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really, and at the same time, I was having trouble with a lot of um, chronic pain and, and depression and anxiety, which is one of the reasons why I was pursuing all this healing work. And in the process, I was really getting on the ground training uh, for, you know, for ultimately how to channel um, heavy energies through my body, my mind, my feelings and transmute them into into, um, you know, into light, into healing energy, and into, and gifts and soul parts. So what basically finally happened is that I had a major healing crisis in, um, in 2006, just a, 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 a series of events came together um, with my job at the University of Virginia, as well as uh, with my own health. I I actually had been using a uh, a pharmaceutical drug named clonopin to try to sleep at night, and my my physician had kept upping the dose because I couldn't sleep. I still couldn't sleep, and I had gotten unwittingly, basically habituated to it. And I accidentally went off of it cold turkey, and I had a major like drug withdrawal. And, and luckily, it happened when I was in my doctor's office. So because of that, I ended up taking four months off uh, of paid medical leave. Mm-hmm. and But before I did that, I had a vision that night of the, uh, the night before this, this kind of precipitous drug withdrawal um, where my cat, who had died earlier that day, um, came to me in spirit form and she said, you need to step up and do what you know you're meant to do. And the truth is, is despite all the healing work that I had been doing, I was physically getting sicker and I was actually having panic attacks and I really knew that she was right and I knew exactly what it meant and Mm -hmm. and so I took this 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 paid medical leave and then I decided to just you know cut the cord and quit my my tenured well-salaried job and to get training with uh, a man named Alberto Viotto in the Four Winds Society Healing the Light Body School in the uh, the practice of shamanic energy medicine, and um, and so I did it. You know, it was like a plunge into the unknown, and you know, lo and behold, a lot of my symptoms of pain and panic attacks stopped. So this is actually what, what happened to me is is not dissimilar to what many shamans around the world and many cultures report that they come to some kind of like, you know, they might have some kind of 
a big health crisis, maybe even be in a coma, and the spirits come to them and say, you know, you've got to do what you you know you're supposed to do, or mm. you're going to get sicker and die younger, which is what my my beloved cat B told me. So B was just like the vehicle, you know, for the spirits to really reach me so that I could hear the message. And so that's what I did, and I've never looked back. Um, it was one of the best decisions of my life. It hasn't been altogether, you know, uh, easy, you know, to start fresh from scratch at the age of 45, you know, and build my own mm-hmm. work and business in the world. But um, but I definitely am doing what I meant to do. Got it. So thanks a lot for sharing. I mean, it's just another reminder that uh, when the universe has a plan for you, uh, it will do whatever it takes in order to remind you and to ensure that you're able to notice and to be able to see that path that is chosen for you that you need to now embark on. So in your case, it was the healing crisis. It was the interactions that you and the people that you came across. And it was also was your cat who in another dimension <laughs> after death even uh, came to you and said that, you know what, you need to do what you have to do. And very interestingly, you know, you, you, you experienced healing after you took those steps and that difficult decision. Now, what are some topics that fall under shamanic studies? Oh, what are some topics? Well, I mean, I can speak more to the topics that I myself teach. Sure. So I, as you shared, um, I founded the Great Medicine Wheel uh, School of Mother Earth mysticism, and what I did is I I integrated these um, several streams in my life, uh, which included shamanism in the the West and um, Buddhism, particularly Vipassana Buddhism, which I've also studied very deeply for really all of my adult life, and um, and Native American spirituality. I started studying uh, with my teacher, my Cherokee teacher, the Venerable Donnie Oahu, mm-hmm. about almost 30 years ago, and then also depth psych- psychology. Mm-hmm. And so I, I call it the School of Mother Earth Mysticism because I really fundamentally think that shamanism is a mystical path. And what I mean by mysticism is is this deep and profound awareness of the the spirit of all that is within through and around all things and that we each have a a an ability on a personal individual level to connect to uh to spirit mm-hmm. you know we we don't really need any intermediaries so you, you know one of the the main vehicles uh for my teaching is the medicine wheel which is this beautiful map that gives us the the four basic dimensions of life which is the body the mind the emotions the soul and the spirit and the medicine wheel is like a map through mother life and it's a map from you know where we incorporate the truth that we came to incarnate in physical form in order to have this beautiful experience and so that our soul on a soul level, our soul wants us to actually, uh, you know, have certain experiences and fulfill some sort of purpose. Mm. And so we have this map where, 
you know, we, we, we live in the body and the physical. And so shamanism is really also about engaging fully with Mother Earth and our physical life because we, we recognize that, that spirituality is not something that, you know, that's something other than physical life in the body, that spiritual life is about being in the body. Mm-hmm. So in these teachings, we learn how to walk in the physical and feel the presence of spirit in everything and then to look for the signs and synchronicities as you mentioned in the outer world and in nature and we also then go down into you know our our deep self our which shamanism calls the lower world or our subconscious in order to befriend our shadow and to meet the wounds within us and then we find the soul's purpose and harness our highest destiny. And then we step into our spiritual sovereignty because ultimately shamanism is all about the fact that we have free will and we can co-create with spirit the life that we wish to dream into being in the future. So these are kind of the four basic principles of the work uh, that I do. Mm-hmm. in my own life and that I teach and that is really common to shamanism as it's taught in the western world although the maps may be slightly different got it got yeah. it so thanks a lot for sharing now I mean I love that you explained it that way because I think deep down each of us is familiar with that uh, notion or that feeling that uh, there's more to life than what uh, we are currently experiencing right and that there is uh, this journey that you need to take uh, in life that goes beyond the familiar into the unfamiliar into the darkness like you said and to be befriend that darkness and that um, you know you know whether we're going physically to a place or whether we're going deep down within our subconscious mind and to uncover for ourselves and bring the truths back to us uh, and then in the process right uh, become a a transformed human being right yeah you've put it really really well you've summarized it really well aj Mm -hmm. got it now now, uh, please, please go ahead no, no, no. I think that's that really hits the you know that hits that hits it on the head. So no, no, no. You go on. You go on. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, just just to continue with what we were discussing, I wanted to talk a bit about the shamanic journey. What exactly is this journey? Maybe if you could touch on also what happens during this event and and where do you journey to? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, shamanic journeying is a very basic practice um, common to uh, shamanic traditions, particularly in the West. And I always make a distinction between Western shamanism and, and, you know, the practices of medicine ways among native cultures, only because, um, you know, I, 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 I can't, I can only speak for what I know in my context, you know, yeah. in, in what I've learned from my teachers. Um, and, and I am, a, you know, a, a woman, you know, born into Western civilization and, and um, you know, have, have therefore my own, uh, you know, experiences in, in my society and my culture. So shamanism, you know, means something. Thing, uh, to people who are looking for people like me, for instance, if they want to find somebody who's a shamanic healer. So shamanic journeying is, is really very foundational in Western shamanism. It is 
a way essentially to often use rattling or drumming in order to then uh, visualize or imagine that you're going into a place. Uh, um, I often take my students or I go myself to what I call the Sacred Valley. And there in the Sacred Valley, uh, you visualize a great tree and you go to that great-grandfather tree and then you have an animal ally or a power animal that is going to help you journey. And that journey may be into the lower world, which, as we've said earlier, is into the subconscious, or it could be to the upper worlds, which um, might be referred to as the superconscious. But the lower world is really... um, imagistically into the body of Mother Earth and down, down into the darkness or to what's unseen in the darkness. So it mirrors the fact that what's in our inner self Mm -hmm. is not necessarily always showing out in the light of day or we travel to the upper worlds where we go to meet our higher self or our soul. Um, We can go to the upper worlds to find our true purpose and our highest destiny, um, to, you know, meet angelic beings or our guides and, you know, our spiritual guides and teachers, um, all of these folks. And we can also actually journey in the middle world, but in my tradition, as I've been taught, mostly we travel to the lower world and the upper world. And what can happen as a result of journeying, as you're led by the animal, the power animal that takes you there, is that not only are you shown deep truth and wisdom about whatever it is you're journeying about, so you can set an intention like, you know, please show me what I need to know that's going to help me break through this this block or this healing crisis I'm in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or you journey with the intent to go to the upper world to 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 see what your highest destiny is and to kind of pull the energy core of that highest destiny into yourself. And so you're given wisdom. You might feel things, see things, sense things, hear things, or just know things. Um, And it's very different for different people. And then that's actually medicine that you bring back with you from the journey. And when, when you work on the level of journeying, it's an incredibly powerful way to shift things in inside of you. It's much quicker yeah. and more impactful than like year months or years of talk therapy. So that's what a journey is. Got it. Yeah. I love your explanation. You mentioned that we go to this sacred valley where there's a great tree and yeah. then you need an animal ally, right, who is going to go along with you as a guide to right, right. either the upper world or the lower world. Now, have you ever thought about uh, this, you know, the sacred valley, you know, you know, where is this? Is this a uh, quantum field or have you ever given any thought in regards to where this is? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I'm not very apt to use scientific terms, although, you know, sometimes I think, oh, I, you know, I should dig more deeply into that arena Mm. so that I can map this process uh, that's so important to me in my spiritual journey um, to, you know, the emerging understandings in science. But, you know, from the point of view, the shamanic point of view, is that we live in in a holographic, multi-dimensional, you know, in, in, in holographic 
holographic multidimensional multiverses. It's like, you know, all of everything is just consciousness. And consciousness mm. seeks experience and seeks expression. Yeah. And so, you know, we might say that going to the sacred valley is an act of imagination, and maybe it is initially. But in the shamanic sense, what we know is that anything that we visualize then is created in form in this holographic matrix of reality. And so it is a place that actually we do go to. And in theory, if there are hundreds of thousands of people around the world doing shamanic journeys to the Sacred Valley, we are actually together you know, molding and creating that world, and it becomes um, a dimension yeah. uh, that that we can access for personal exploration and, and insight and growth. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So I mean, uh, I see it as... good. Please, good. <laughs> this is a very interesting no, topic for existing... sure. <laughs> yeah, I I see it as existing both inside us. In mm. other words, it. It is everything is everything that's inside is outside, right? So, yeah. and and of course, in the oneness of creation, there is no inside and outside. But you know, we also, as human beings, have to have a map, you know, to find our way through this this swirling, ever expanding, you know, creative matrix of reality. You know, that's always. It's like in Buddhism, it talks about forms arising and forms disappearing. You know, and yeah. it's like you know. Know, everything everything is being dreamed all at once yeah mm-hmm. well absolutely and i also like the idea that you said that each and every time somebody uh, is dreaming or imagining the sacred valley or the great tree uh, with our intention and with our attention we're actually co-creating this new field right and who knows maybe in the future we might be actually able to uh, you know, send people on journeys. I don't know. This is just a thought. Um, and, you know, because you know it's, it's powerful that we are actually creating such a such a such a dimension, so to speak. And also, when you said that our consciousness seeks experience, uh, what came to my mind was uh, a conversation that I heard about when Joseph Campbell also said, right? He 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 said that uh, maybe we're not seeking the meaning of life, but what we're really seeking is the experience of being alive, right? Because mm-hmm. like you said, yeah. consciousness seeks experience and not just the intellectual yeah. understanding of, of life, but actually to know without a shadow of a doubt what it means to be alive. So thanks a lot for sharing. Now, now you, you, you spoke about the sounds, the various sounds that are involved in a shamanic journey like drumming and, and the rattling and maybe the chanting. Uh, they play an important yeah. role in shamanism, right? So talk to us about the sacred sound and, and song and how they help in the process. Yeah, well, you know, sacred sound and song is really, really central to my practice. And in fact, um, in my shamanic healing practice, a very core part of that practice is singing and chanting, rattling and drumming. Um and this was not something I was really trained to do explicitly, uh, or really not at all when I was um, uh, studying in the Four Winds Society. It was yeah. actually something that came to me as I started my practice. Um, 
Um, so, yeah, I mean, drumming, of course, is in Western shamanism is considered very important. In fact, the, the anthropologist turned shaman, Michael Harner, actually founded his, his whole core curriculum, what he called core shamanism, on the idea that if you go to cultures around the world who, who have medicine, you know, shamanic type medicine traditions, yeah. that they are often use this syncopated rhythm in order to shift, uh, you know, shift perception, to mm -hmm. shift yourself or to shift others into a trance state. Yeah. And in so doing, to then access other dimensions, right? Um, and you can also use a rattle uh, for the same purpose. You know, in... in in my in my understanding, and then um, what when I was studying directly with Venerable Tahani Oahu, my Cherokee teacher in the '90s, I mean her tradition is filled with beautiful sound and song, and I carried away from that a really deep connection to the Cherokee heart chant. And then what happened is is that as I as I as I said before, as I started to do my healing work within individuals, I began to feel the impulse to sing the song to them. Yeah. And what it does is it opens up the vibration of the heart. So sound is vibrational. And, and with chanting, you know, um, I can do a chant like, hey, I, oh, which is although always also from Venerable Dahani, which is calling up the energies of creation, these raw energies, life force, yeah. the, the, the energies of creation that then are, are opening up the pathways, the channels within the body, the mind, the feelings, the light garment, the light body, and, and beginning to help break up the, the, the heavy energies. Right. And then, um, yes, yeah, so, so sound and song and is very important in shamanic practice in the the West, yeah, and I use Wonderful. it fully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, somehow I feel that uh, you know, you know, there are certain, I guess, uh, techniques or certain practices that are used, like sound, which have a very direct effect. Um, on our healing, right? I mean, sometimes I guess visualization is yeah. difficult for some people, but when it's sound, it's a very, uh, it's a very natural way for someone to receive healing, as well as uh, um, scents, right? Scents and aromas, and then you have essential oils, and people yes, are able yes. to experience healing that oh, way. Yes. And light also, right? These days they say that they've got different types of light, and they, I guess, point the light at different chakras within your body, light healing, and that works as well. Yeah, yeah, of course. Now, you know, in, in my practice, yes, I use a lot of scent, you know, white mm. sage, which is very common okay. among Native North Americans, and um, and Palo Santo from from a tree in the Andes of Peru. It's a very sweet incense. Um, yeah, and light comes in in the sense of that light will come in, um, you know, as I say, the prayers over the client. I'm calling okay. in light from the different dimensions, yeah. So uh, definitely light, scent, sound, song, oh yeah. The, you know, uh, what I love about shamanic practice is you can draw all these different tools in. And yeah. I also, you know, these these are, these are things that are not just used in healing, but in ceremony. Yes. And, you know, in ceremony, which I do a lot of, um, you know, we do a lot of... Um, 
earth-based ceremony in my classes, you know, and, you know, we also dance. We dance in an earth wheel that we have built out of stones on the earth, an earth medicine wheel. And so between movement, you know, dancing and and song and chanting and drumming um, and prayer, we open up this incredible container of light where all the beings from other dimensions and other worlds, you know, can interact with us and help us shift and transform our energy. And where mm-hmm. the the raw transformational energy of Mother Earth can, can then be called upon and pour into us even more fully and really yeah. shift things for us both individually as well as for the group and the community. Yeah. So right. it's it's all really, really important. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. I like that you mentioned uh, dance because I was having a conversation a few weeks back with someone who does sound healing using the didgeridoo. You know, the, yeah. the, the instrument that they tend to use, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, many places across yeah. the world, especially Australia. And well, he does, uh, you know, he does healing work with especially people in the West and uh, people in cities and helps them heal using sound. But when I asked him about the people, yeah. the uh, I guess the Aborigines or the native people of Australia, he mentioned that, you know, he, healing, the concept of healing uh, is foreign to them because to them, you, you know, the, the instrument is part of their life. And to them, everything, life is its, itself is, is, a, is a dance, right? And so there's no instance where they have to go and heal because life is a dance. There are ups and downs and there's a season for everything. And they know it intuitively and they just let themselves be guided into this, uh, I guess, uh, mystical dance. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've... I, I, I definitely resonate to that. I mean, you know, the, and yet the truth is, is that it calls to mind uh, the story that a colleague of mine um, who wrote a couple of books about his friendship with a a uh, Paco or a medicine man from the Caro people in the Andes in Peru. And he said that when this man, Sebastian, uh, came down from the Andes for the first time and walked in, you know, the... Uh, the very congested and busy city of mm-hmm. Cusco, he walked around and he, he was shocked because he said, all these people are walking around like the living dead. Uh-huh. And that, that if they, you know, and that they might need, you know, dozens or, or hundreds of soul retrievals uh, before they could really be back in balance. So in the Andean spiritual tradition, they talk about balance, you know, and, and, oh, okay. and they see it as a dance between, between shadow and light and you know so i think that definitely i can imagine i can only imagine because i'm not indigenous that when you when when human beings more commonly lived uh close to mother earth and and you know had that deep connection that you know healing you know it wasn't so much that you needed to heal it was like yes you know the stages and cycles of life and you move in and out whereas i think in the western world you know in the westernized world there's been so much damage done yeah you know back through the generations and even so much damage to the earth itself that in fact we do have to talk about healing because because uh you know many of us are walking around you know the walking wounded and or the walking dead and the walking wounded and aren't even aware, you know, that, that the wounds of their ancestors in the past are causing all, 
all this disruption in their outer life. Yeah. Right. And I love that you hit on this topic uh, because that was exactly my next question, which is transgenerational healing. Uh, what's the significance of it? And, uh, you know, if you could talk a bit more about that. Yeah, well, you know, transgenerational healing is, is a topic that's very close to my heart, mostly because, um, you know, in part because of my my lifelong interest in and in, you know, why violence happens, how it happens, and how it impacts yeah. us. And because of my own healing journey, so when I went to my first energy healer, uh, back in in uh, about 1994, three yeah. or four, and she put me on her table and just started, you know, lightly, you know, kind of running her hands along the surface of her body or maybe just lightly touching my body. And I went into this very deep trance very quickly, and I was experiencing the death of a holy warrior on a field of battle in the Middle Ages. And... Mm. You know, essentially, under her guidance and with my own active imagination, I engaged with his consciousness. And, you know, he was dying in great uh, torment um, for many reasons. I won't go into the story here. but um, And I was able to help him find peace and be released from his body. And... Um, and then, you know, one of the that that kind of tagged in with an emerging interest that I had in in the impact of genocide on people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, human history, what I call the bloody stream of humanity. I mean, you know, the history of humanity, at least in, in Western civilization, I don't want to speak for indigenous cultures themselves because they have different histories. But in Western civilization there's such there's so much, you know, violence and blood, you know, going back really millennia. And I understood after my, you know, that opening and connecting into the holy warrior, and then I spent a decade where many times in my own healings and meditations, I would see and experience, you know, a lot of uh, violence. Uh, And, you know, perhaps some of it was from other lifetimes times I've lived, um, but some of it was just collective, like, you know, what, what we've experienced on a collective level, yeah. and and then was transmuting it, and so I came to really understand how unhealed traumas from the past, and it can even be, you know, so many generations back, it's beyond memory, right, mm-hmm. can in fact, uh, you know, be be impacting us in the present and in fact the science this is one area of science that i've ventured into the science of epigenetics is now saying that actually the traumas of our parents can be passed on Mm. uh you know through in utero in the womb of the mother um and and that therefore you know the impact Impact of trauma and the imbalances it's created can can be passed on transgenerationally, and I find this whole concept in science very very interesting because, really, in, in a shamanic healing, many times when I am doing a healing for a client, and I'm traveling into their deep self, their lower world, you know, yeah. because they've got some kind of imbalance in the, 
you know, in their life. And what I find there is I find imprints of woundings from their family and even from ancestors going much further back. And sometimes Mm -hmm. even from humanity as a whole. And yet now the science is saying, yes, this can happen. Now, I don't think that they realize or they're yet willing to say that, you know, this this genetic material can go back to, say, you know, our our Neolithic ancestors, for instance. Um, Mm -hmm. But at least they're beginning to recognize that it does go back one or maybe two generations. Yeah. So, and I think that healing transgenerational wounds is one of the key components of coming into balance and harmony in ourselves. Got it. So, uh, does this happen in both ways as well? Like, for example, uh, we talk about the trauma that is uh, inflicted upon a, a collective group of people that, that that receive the violence. And what about the the other side? You know, the other group that is inflicting. You know, what some sort of a violence are is are oh, there yes. any karmic retribute karmic uh, you know effects over there? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't call them retribution, but sure. I mean. The great uh, MD psychiatrist Judith Lewis Herman, who wrote a wonderful book called Trauma and Recovery, a seminal uh, work in the field of trauma, um, basically said the dialectic of trauma, the dialectic of violence impacts both the victim and the perpetrator. So, yes, absolutely. So when we are when we perpetrate violence or abuse of some kind, absolutely, that has an impact in terms of the the deep psyche. You know, because mm. in truth, we can't really, really take a life. We cannot take life. Mm. Um, or we cannot, we cannot, you know, do harm without it having some implications for us in our mm. soul's journey and our personal journey in, in a particular lifetime. And... What I mean by this is that um, if we're, you know, if we are perpetrating harm, then we're harming ourselves first and foremost, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And this is why, you know, in indigenous cultures, the taking of life was seen as something very serious that needed to be handled in a very sacred manner. Because sometimes it's necessary to take life, for instance, when you take an animal's life or food. Yeah. Um, and and so absolutely the the you know so when i you know so the absolutely in terms of transgenerational harms if you have perpetrators in your ancestral lineages then yes that perpetration can then manifest uh in mm. the present in in insidious ways absolutely got it got it yeah well, that is that is really yeah. really fascinating and informative as well. I'm sure uh, we we're going to say something. No, that's okay. You go on. Mm-hmm. Got it. No, I mean, there's so much of information, so much of knowledge, so much of wisdom that you've shared today, and as well as stories. Uh, what is that one action step that you'd like to recommend for someone listening to the show right now? Oh, an action step. Well, I think the most important first action step that anybody can take is to begin to uh, self-reflect deeply and to look at their inner self. Um, Mm. I just think self-reflection and being willing to look into oneself to see all the goodness as well as all the weaknesses, all the strengths, all the, the challenges 
challenges, you know, I think that's really a first step towards towards becoming a real human being. And what I mean by a real human being is somebody who is is awake, alive, conscious, who is who is not walking around, you know, uh, unconsciously and therefore, you know, just in habitual routines and and perhaps even doing harm to themselves and others, you know, in subtle or overt ways. So, yeah, I think the action step is to self-reflect, be willing to look at what's inside. And when you look inside, you'll be surprised because we often are afraid that when we look inside that we're just going to see all this, like, messy, awful stuff. But what I always say is that even in the most difficult material in ourselves, the light exists. There is good gold to be had absolutely yeah so action drive to read the entire show notes for today's episode including the inspirational quote uh, certain nuggets of wisdom that were shared that you may not have been able to capture right away and the book recommendation which is coming up soon for all of that good stuff go to my seven chakras.com forward slash 264 that's my seven chakras.com forward slash 264 which is the number of today's episode Action Drive, as we begin a new year, let me ask you, how would your life change if you started listening to books? Would that make you a better leader, a more conscious being, or maybe inspire you to start something new? Honestly, there has never been a better time to start listening on Audible. Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet, and now Audible members get more than ever before. Each month, they get three titles of their choice, one audiobook, two Audible originals, and fitness programs that they can't get anywhere else. You'll also enjoy easy audiobook exchanges, rollover credits, and an audiobook library that you can keep forever even if you cancel. In fact, I'm currently re-listening to this amazing book called Dreams of Awakening by Charlie Morley. So if you're even mildly interested in the art of lucid dreaming and Tibetan dream yoga, then you must download this book on Audible. Get started with a 30-day trial when you go to audible.com slash action tribe or text action tribe to 500-500 and listen for a change. Once again, go to audible.com slash action tribe or text action tribe to 500-500. That's audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash action tribe or text action tribe to 500-500. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. This is an amazing quote by Reinhold Niebuhr. Action Tribe, here's what I found. Not everything is under our control. There are many things happening in the world right now that are not within your immediate control. And feeling that you can change everything just by yourself in a defined period of time can lead to a lot of stress and overwhelm and you don't want that instead realize that there are many things around that are within your control focus on taking action on those things and remember to know when to let go and remember no matter how hard the situation is currently that you have the power to overcome this and come out victorious so rachel talk to us about going through a major life challenge maybe one particular challenge that you have experienced and how did you overcome it? Yeah, well, you 
Yeah, so recently I um, I invited to come stay with me for the summer a housemate, and it turned out to be very, very, very problematic. Um, and I came to a point after a couple of months when I knew that, you know, it the arrangement needed to end, but when I asked her to leave, just based upon saying, you know, my... I needed, you know, my house to myself for my my health and for my work. You know, she refused to leave. And uh, so then I had to kind of, you know, become a little more forthright and to try to get her to leave, uh, and she still refused. So as a result of this, uh, because of the tension in the household, I decided uh, to just, you know, leave for a month because I gave her a month's notice, which is what the law required, and, you know, to go and stay with friends and travel. And, you know, needless to say, it, it, you know, even though I, I was spending good time with friends and having some fun, it was also really hard, you know, to be out of my home for for a whole month, you know. Mm-hmm. And and um, especially, you know, not under the best of circumstances. So, you know, so what I did is I really reached for my tools, you know. I... I did my uh, grounding meditations uh, that I teach in my classes. I did prayer work. I, I, I have a mesa or a medicine bundle, and there are certain things that I, you can do with a mesa or a medicine bundle by throwing the stones in the mesa to, to shift the energies. I went and danced in the earth wheel to kind of shake off, off you know, my anger and frustration and, and stress and... And, um, you know, so in any healing crisis I have, I, you know, I have so many rich and, and powerful tools in my medicine basket that I can use to keep myself balanced and to, you know, as I said, you know, um, clear or shake off, um, you know, heavy patterns and thought and emotions. And, you know, ultimately what happened is that she finally left, you know, um, within, you know, in the month, after a month when I asked her to, and I was able to come home. And of course, then I stepped up to do kind of my inner reflection of what, what was the meaning of this? You know, what, what, what is it? How is it that I created this? You know, were my actions towards her in balance or not? And, and, you know, what was the lesson in this for me so that I, I would, you know, maybe in the future, you know, notice the, you know, the red flags or something, you know, sooner, right? And so I think that really in life, you know, we we go along in life, and as you said, not everything is within our control, but, um, but you know, and sometimes I think our soul orchestrates certain experiences so that we really get the point, you know, like, mm-hmm. like uh, oh yeah, you know, it's like, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I really don't need to have anybody living with me. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's, you know, maybe I really need to be in my spiritual sovereignty and in my own space and in my own, you know, my own, um, my own truth, you know. Yeah. And so I, I think that basically that that's kind of a story of how I worked with the system and the tools that I have in my own medicine basket to get me through something that was, you know, stressful. Yeah. Wonderful. 
Well, that's a really, really inspiring story that you shared based off your experience. And I'm sure many of our listeners listening right now are able to relate uh, back to a time when uh, they came across a difficult situation. And oftentimes, and in most cases, the biggest challenges are interpersonal relationships, right? Our relationships form a major part of our life and they can either be a cause of great happiness and fulfillment or they can be a cause of uh, challenge and stress and overwhelm. And actually, relationships is exactly what I'm going to speak about in my next interview today. Uh, but this is a great, such a great topic, uh, you know, to talk about. And Action Tribe, I hope you're enjoying today's session as much as I am. The more conversations I have and the more experiences I have, I'm finding that, you know, you can't explain spirituality. You can try, but there's nothing quite like having an experience for yourself. Because to me... Uh, a spiritual experience is a very personal experience that goes beyond words. And the reason for this is that when we try to explain something, we're using our logical mind uh, to use the right words and to paint the right picture that would, I guess, attempt to communicate the experience. However, something that's very hard to convey through words is the language of the heart. And that is what you have when you uh, have a truly spiritual experience, right? We're connecting more with the power of the heart and less with the faculties of the mind. And no matter how small or big that experience might be, these personal encounters provide us with a deeper sense of meaning of life. And just like David Steindl Rast once put, the eyes only see light, the ears only hear sound, but a listening heart perceives meaning, right? So think about that for couple of seconds because your heart is uh, way more than a pumping organ it is actually uh, the center of uh, the universe within yourself and as we are learning the universe within yourself is just a mirror image of the universe around you and with that we are now at the last but very important round for today the wisdom round uh, so Rachel what is the best piece of advice that you've received ever piece of advice I would say or the best words of wisdom are from one of my teachers and a, a Deborah Ray and a woman I, I go to sometimes for energy healing work and you know one of the things that I've found in my healing journey is that you know while definitely it is true that I've healed a lot in myself I mean I wouldn't be sitting here doing this interview with you and doing the work that I'm doing if I hadn't healed a lot of the trauma, uh, you know, from that, you know, the, that was caused by, you know, my relationship with my mother. But, you know, it, it is also true that it's like, you know, the spiral, the onion, you know, we're peeling away the layers of the onion. And and as we do that in our journey, we're, we're I, I see ourselves as getting more and more um, closer to, you know, we're getting more refined and closer to the essence. So there's actually two words of wisdom that I want to offer. So one of the things that Deborah has said to me is that, you know, it's important to remember that no matter how much we've worked on our healing and transforming our wounds, that sometimes when we get under conditions of stress, that kind of, you know, there might be some areas of vulnerability in it you know that are you know that are kind of there it's sort of like the wound heals and it's 
and it is healed over, but it's sort of like if you injure your knee, right? And then your knee heals, mm-hmm. but you, you find yourself kind of banging your knee, you know, over and over again, right? And that, you know, we have to have compassion for ourselves because, um, you know, and, and that each, each time that happens, that something gets stimulated in us, it is an opportunity to change. And the other words of wisdom come from the Cherokee teacher Black Bear, who lived 350 years ago, and who was channeled by one of my colleagues and teachers, Christopher Beaver, and uh, one of my dear friends, Sue Wolf, uh, is a student of Black Bear's and also teaches his shaman system. And apparently Black Bear said, I I heard him say this in an audio recording, uh, when, when Christopher was channeling him that it took him something like 86 years to figure everything out and then he died two years later Mm. (laughs) and i find that to be very comforting you know because it's like here was this wise and powerful medicine man you know who had the power to actually then come through in this time you know in the 20th and 21st centuries you know through uh, through another human being. And, you know, here he, he was saying, you know, I didn't have it all figured out, you know, and it kind of helps let us off the hook because I think in our society and in many, you know, many areas of the world, we're so hard on ourselves, you know, and when we're on a spiritual path, we think like, oh, you know, I, I should have it all figured out now and I should be in the light all the time or in my heart yeah. all the time. And what you said about the heart is beautiful. And the truth is, is that in the, in the dance of mother life, you know, we're going to get knocked off, you know, from time to time. Um, sometimes from things that are seemingly, at least in the physical world, beyond our control. So yeah. it's those two things that I hold on to. Yeah. Got it. Thanks a lot for sharing. Now, if you could turn back time and spend one hour with any person dead or living, who would it be? And this you know, is a rapid fire round, so it could be quick. <laughs> I know. I would love actually to have met this uh, Cherokee teacher, Black Bear. I've only just started uh, in the past couple of years to become aware of him through my friend Sue that I mentioned, and yeah. I just think that it's you know he's he's amazing and his teachings are amazing. So if I could go back, yeah, I would definitely go go find him. Wonderful. Now, what is that one thing you do in the morning or in the evening before sleeping that has really improved the quality of your life? Well, I go out with my tea. I live on a beautiful farm called Bliss Point Farm, north of Charlottesville, Virginia. And I go out with my dog and I sit uh, on a chair with my back to the barn and looking out at a beautiful field in a mountain. And I connect with the energy of Mother Earth, and, and that field changes every day. Sometimes there's things that happen that are awe-inspiring. And then what I do is I relax my mind, I connect to my heart, and I just open up in my awareness, and I send my grounding cord down into the Earth, and I bring Mother Love Light, uh, emerald, what I visualize as emerald green, and rose pink love light up into my body and it really really sets the tone for the day a a tone of groundedness and peace yeah and then of course i also will drink my tea 
Great. <laughs> Which wakes now, me up. Now, if you could <laughs> – wonderful. I, I love tea and, you know, I love uh, – I mean, I, I, I used to drink a lot of tea when I was in, in India. Um, but uh, these days I'm more used to coffee. And I do add a bit of yeah. uh, turmeric, actually, and honey in my coffee, which uh, I find mm, uh, very – tasty as well as um, beneficial health-wise. Now, if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be? One of my favorite books is by Thomas Mills, and it's called Fool's Crow, Wisdom and Power. Fool's Crow was a very, very revered, wise, a holy man of of the, among the Lakota Sioux people. And Thomas Mills basically made friends with him him and interviewed him, spoke with him. And what he did is he distilled uh, uh, Fool's Crow's words into this beautiful book, which is basically like a conversation between them. And he was a very powerful healer. So he talks about um, his particular healing uh, practices, the medicine about Wankantanka creator spirit and his connection to that. And I, I recommend that book to all of my students because I think it's it's um, it's inspiring Fool's Crow's life and teachings are inspiring. It connects us into an ancient wisdom tradition indigenous wisdom tradition and it also illuminates uh, in a way the the life ways of anyone who steps into the path of being a healer of others Awesome so thanks a lot for sharing Rachel uh, Action Tribe, if you would like to get this book uh, right away from Amazon, then we've got a special link for you. All you got to do is my7chakras.com forward slash 264 book. That's my7chakras.com forward slash 264 book. And you'll go to the Amazon page and you can learn more about the book, Fool's Crow, Wisdom and Power. And you can order one for yourself as well. Now, the other thing is, I know that you guys love our book recommendations a lot. And many of you are learning about Audible, which is basically a company that uh, creates uh, audio books. So the same book, but you just listen to, in many cases, the author uh, talking about that story or sharing the wisdom that is contained in the book. And audible.com is offering Action Tribe one free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial so that you can get to check out their amazing service. And they've got hundreds and thousands of titles to choose from for your iPhone, your Android, or your Kindle. Um, and uh, I don't think this particular book is available, Fool's Crow, Wisdom and Power, but they have many other books. To get your free audiobook today, go to my7chakras.com forward slash free book. Once again, that's my7chakras.com forward slash free book and start listening to your favorite book today. So, Rachel, thank you so much for joining me once again on this second episode. It was really great connecting with you as ever. Uh, before you go, tell us one thing that you're grateful for and how we can find you online. Oh, well, I'm grateful for all the love and support that I get from my friends and my family. Um, I've needed all that support as I, you know, stepped into doing this over the past 10 years. And, and I'm actually grateful for the sunny sky today because we've had so much rain mm. here in central Virginia so I'm, I'm grateful for those and people can find me at rachelmanphd.com that's R-A-C-H-E-L-M-A-N-N 
phd.com and look out for my online course heal uh, transform your healing crisis into gold which will be launched on my website by the end of next week awesome so once again thank you so much for coming on our show talking to us about shamanism and so many other amazing topics and taking us one step closer to a human revolution yeah thank you thank you aj it's really been great to talk to you it's a lot of fun and you have a lot of wisdom to share yourself so it's been an honor thank you and thank you tribe for listening okay you were listening to my seven chakras go to my s-e-v-e-n chakras.com download your free gift get inspired and take action transform your life today